things that are coming uh, up and so make yourself aware of those and sure looking forward to uh, all that the Lord has in store uh, ahead for the church. All right, well, let's take our Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, turn to Philippians the final time. Philippians in chapter number 4. <clears throat> and uh, once you find your place there, if you're able to, let's stand together. Philippians chapter 4, and let's start reading in verse number 10. Now, you never thought we would get done with the whole Iodius and Sintichi conflict that was going on, but we have. We're moving beyond that now. Uh, hopefully you'll remember those lessons for years to come about how to resolve conflict, and I uh, sure appreciate those uh, truths that were recorded for us in the Word of God. All right, Philippians chapter 4, and let's start reading there in verse number 10. <clears throat> but I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content." I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Just to kind of help our teenagers out, and maybe the rest of the church in this. That verse is not a catch-all for uh, you playing sports and everything else. It's got a specific context that it rests in here. So we're not really going to dwell on that one verse. It's a very popular verse, but it's nestled in a very important context here. So just wanted to say that. In verse number 14 here, it says, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God." But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now that's where our text for tonight is going to end. Then you have a salutation here at the end, verse 21 through 23, which we're not really going to preach. It's just a benediction here at the end, where he says this, Salute every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren uh, which are with me, greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So I'd like to preach to you here tonight on this great gain. Great gain. May God bless the reading of His Word. You can be seated. And uh, thank you for standing in honor of the Scriptures uh, here tonight. <clears throat> Contentment is a rare character trait in our world today. Contentment is a very rare character trait uh, in our current climate. Now, the reason behind this, I think it's ingrained a little bit in our culture, but I think there has been, and we've talked about this some in Ecclesiastes, that there's a mentality that is just ingrained in mankind, but it is very deep 
in our American culture here, we've just become this way, very materialistic, that people start to think, if I just had this, right? So there's always this insatiable desire for the next big thing, okay? If you just look at our culture, you see that, don't you? right? As soon as somebody has something, they're wanting the next big thing. They're desiring the next awesome thing. Uh, So you can go into the store and buy the biggest, clearest, sharpest, most HD TV they have. And while you're loading it in your car, they're wheeling out the new, brighter, bigger, more awesome model to take its place. So there's always this uh, insatiable desire to have bigger and better and more awesome and just have all this stuff. But contentment doesn't just have to do with wanting things. Sometimes it has to do with being discontent and saying, I, there's some things I don't want, right? Maybe it is in your life. You uh, look at your spouse and you go, well, I won the lottery, right? You thought what you were getting into with marriage and what you wound up with years later. Now you're sitting there wondering like, if I would be happy, I would be content if I just didn't have right? Maybe that is on your mind, or maybe it has to do with children. Uh, You know, sometimes uh, people can look at their kids and say, man, I just wish I didn't have them, or I wish I wasn't dealing with this problem right now. Uh, Whatever it might be, maybe it is that you're thinking, I would be content if I just didn't have this. Maybe it's some type of disease, or sickness, or physical ailment, or problem, or maybe it's your age, Whatever the case might be, you think, I would be happy, I would be content if I didn't have this. And then maybe that conversation goes, if I just had this or if I just didn't have this, I would be so, and you just fill in the blank, right? If I didn't have this, I would be so happy. If I had this, I would be so thrilled. And I'm telling you, if you allow your mind to race down that process of thinking, you're going to run into all kinds of problems. Materialism runs rampant in our world today, and discontentment is literally everywhere. Now, we're, of course, ending the book of Philippians, and the whole theme of the book has been this, that I may know Him, right? That, that's the whole thing, is as we look to Christ and we strive to be more like Him, a byproduct of that is joy. So in the book of Philippians, we've dealt with the pursuit of Christ and the byproduct of joy, and then we've also helped identify things that can rob and steal joy and cause conflict and make us feel like we don't have joy in our life. And so Paul here enters into this last section of the book, and he is going to address the idea of contentment to the Philippian believers by talking about a gift that they gave him. And so we're really not going to labor on this or dwell on it, but uh, basically what Paul does is he says this, uh, as a church, you guys have given me this gift and have provided me a source of of income, kind of like supporting a missionary. That's basically what they were doing. So Paul is in Rome right now. This is one of the prison epistles, meaning Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel, and they're sending him Uh, food and goods and uh, some money, and they're just trying to support him while he's in this state. And it's not the first time they've done it. They've done it in the past, and he even mentions there, when no other churches were doing it, y'all were doing it. Now, 
it's awesome. We have some missionaries we've supported for a number of years here at our church. And I'm thankful for that. We've got some new missionaries that we've taken on. And I'll say this, it's a blessing to be able to supply the needs of those people, those missionaries, so that the gospel can be preached all around the world. Now, what Paul is saying here, this is kind of like a thank you letter. And Paul is addressing that and saying, I appreciate the gift that you've sent me. I appreciate your heart in recognizing there was benefit in sending this gift. And he says there, I didn't desire this. I wasn't trying to manipulate y'all to give me this money or give me this stuff. But he says here, I'm thankful you did because it's fruit that will abound to your account. Now, again, just like right now, we support missionaries. And when we do that, there is fruit that then abounds to the account of Bible Baptist Church. And more importantly, those that are involved in the faith promise missions giving of our church. The reason we're involved in that is because there's a blessing in that. We see souls saved all over the world, and we're able to see the ministry be accomplished. Now, that, that's ultimately, in essence, what Paul is writing about here is about that. Now, give it to Paul, though, to take a thank you letter about the gift that they've sent him and to take it and say, now here's how I've received the gift, so you need to do the same when you get gifts. And when you have stuff in your life and when you don't have stuff in your life. Because Paul says, listen, I've had times in my life where I got a big meal and I had all my needs taken care of and I was fat and happy. And he says, there's been other times in my life where I thought I was about to starve to death. I didn't have anything. And he said, I have learned in this thing of ministry as a, a missionary traveling around, I know how to abound and I know how to be a base. So he says here, God can give you that same knowledge, because here it is, contentment is a learned trait. Contentment is not inherited. Contentment is not just grafted in as soon as you get saved. Contentment is learned. And Paul learned contentment, and so he writes to the Philippians here and wants them to learn how to be content in their life. So maybe the question comes up, well, what is contentment? I don't want to take for granted that everyone just understands what we're talking about here. So here's maybe a good definition for contentment. Being happy and at rest with what God has given you. Amen. Whatever that is, what God has given you, being happy and at rest with what He has provided. Now, this is an important time to point this out because God does not speak uh, unfavorably of ambition and of trying to better ourselves. Now, if you're sitting on your rear and being lazy and saying, well, I'm content, that is not the definition of contentment, okay? Um, <laughs> God speaks rather highly almost all the time in the scripture about this thing of ambition or the desire of bettering ourselves or, or growing and becoming better. Now, understand, which he talks about this in Philippians 2.3, he talks about the, the downfalls of ambition. Sometimes ambition can be quite negative when it's driven by pride and it's driven, driven by sinful uh, uh, ambitions and desires. Ambition can be bad. But there's nothing wrong with having ambition and desiring more. I mean, 
as a church, we ought to desire that we see more people saved and the church to grow and the church to develop. There's nothing wrong with you in your career of trying to learn that new skill and that new uh, character trait so that you can move up in the company. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing to do. Have that ambition. Have that drive. Make yourself better. Be better for the Lord. Be better for your family. Be better for your company. Have some ambition and some goals. The lack of ambition. Okay, so we need to make that uh, abundantly clear. Uh, kind of from the get-go, okay? We are supposed to be striving for more in Christ and making better of ourselves. So what is the opposite of contentment then? Well, discontentment. Well, well what is that? Well, let me give a, a mul- instead of just a catch-all definition, let me kind of give some explanations about what discontentment uh, manifests itself as. We'll say this, discontentment is often things that are just kind of out of your control, you say, what are you talking about, preacher? What does that have to do with? Well, you want it, or it's something you don't want, right? It can be either way. You can be discontent about something. I don't want this. I want this. But want is different than the ability to get it. Now, what I mean by this is, is oftentimes in our heart and in our mind, we're thinking this. Uh, I, I want this, but oftentimes the ability to get that want is not always there. I think where discontentment comes in a lot of times is people sitting back going, I wish I could have that house, but I never will, right? No matter how hard I work, no matter what I'm going to do, I'm never going to attain to that. I wish I could have that car. I wish I could have that thing. I wish I could have... And they start to feel discontent, and the want of something, that discontentment, oftentimes out of their control to even gain or get that thing. So that's why they're discontent. Right? I can't get that. I can't attain that. So now I'm discontent. We also know this. Discontentment is a robber. Did you know discontentment is the worst thief in life? It takes away so much from us. When people are discontent, it'll rob you of so many things in your life. The number one thing that really fits right in with what Paul's talking about here, and really the context of the whole book is this, There is no greater thief of joy than discontentment. Actually, somebody described it this way. Comparison is the theft of joy. Wanting what you do not have only brings unhappiness. It's hard to have joy when we're thinking this. Well, I would be happy if I had. Well, I would be joyful if I didn't have. Discontentment puts us in a state of mind where we say this, it's impossible for me to be happy. I can't be happy because I'm married to this person. I can't be happy because I don't have this. I can't be happy because I don't have that job. I can't be happy because I have this sickness. Right? Discontentment is the worst theft of joy. Some people that walk around and their life is just ho-hum and they're just miserable all throughout their life. And they got Eeyore syndrome, right? You remember Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? You watch that with your kids or when you were a kid. And he's walking around, oh, bother, and everything's awful and it's terrible. I think some people live the Eeyore life because they always see things could be better. They always look at their life and compare it to others and say, if I only... If I could, if I didn't, and in that state, they live without joy. It's a theft of joy. What else is it a theft of? It's a theft of sound decisions. 
Why are so many Americans in debt up to their ears? Most of them, it's a discontentment. Now, I'm not talking about debt that maybe has come because of things that happened that were out of your control. I understand that happens to some people. But most people, it's wound up being consumer debt. That they have racked up bills to get bigger and nicer and more awesome things and to keep up with the Joneses, right? And to be in that status quo of society that is around us. What about this? Those who make poor decisions, it robs them of a sound mind. And instead they make poor decisions about their marriage. How many marriages have disintegrated because the spouse said, my husband's never going to be good enough. My wife will never meet my needs. And so because of that, they start to look outside of the marriage for what God had intended to provide within the marriage. Yeah, discontentment does that, doesn't it? It robs you of a sound mind. Destructive behaviors are often a result of discontentment. People think, well, I can't be happy unless I have this substance. Well, I can't be happy unless I engage in this activity. And oftentimes it can rob us of having the right kind of decision-making that we ought to have. What about some other things that it can rob from us? It can rob us from being a blessing to others. Discontentment puts you in a state of mind that you're not in a position to be an encourager and to be a blessing and be a help to other people. It does this also. Discontentment will rob you of rest and rob you of peace. Constantly thinking, I wish I had or I wish I didn't have. Never at peace and at rest. And then we also know this. It's not only a robber, but also does this. It brings only bad things. Discontentment will bring discouragement, a bad spirit, foolish lust, hurtful decision, and lingering consequences to a person's life. Now listen, this is not just a pie in the sky. Well, if I have it, great. If not, it's not going to be any big deal. No, to be discontent... It is to rob yourself of so many blessings that God has intended for you. There's a huge difference between contentment and discontentment. So contentment is something that you need to learn. Now, notice what uh, Paul even says here uh, in our text. He says that he had learned in verse number 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. This was a learned behavior. Uh, we don't uh, typically go visit other texts to try, to try to stay right where we're at here, but go over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is kind of a sister scripture to what we're dealing with here tonight, and I think it'll be very helpful as we look into this. <clears throat> because Paul writes to young Timothy about the dangers of being discontent as a young preacher. And so in 1 Timothy chapter number 6 and verse number 6, uh, Paul is going to write some of the most uh, pointed and direct messages about this thing of contentment and discontentment. So 1 Timothy and chapter number 6 and verse number 6. If you found your place there, let's start reading there in verse number 6 where it says this. But godliness... With contentment is what? Great gain. In an interesting, contentment doesn't increase you at all. But Paul says this, it does increase you, just not with what you think is increase. You know? He says, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain. I love how he said it. It is certain. We can carry nothing out. 
The old saying is you don't see any U-Hauls at a funeral, right? And even if you did and they buried them in the ground, well, that's where it's going to stay. You can't take it with you. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But in contrast to contentment, so this is now discontentment, they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and hurtful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Ah. So here, here's what Paul basically says here. He's saying, look at all these wonderful things that contentment does. Now, as a warning, when there is discontentment, there becomes lust for stuff. Love of money. That, that really what it replaces a, a contentment, and that is the spirit of discontentment. So then he says, what comes about because of that, in verse number nine, he describes this. There's temptation that comes with discontentment. People that are discontent are tempted to do things they ought not do. He says this, there's a snare. You ever been fishing before? You put a hook on the end of something and it looks enticing and wonderful. And then the fish goes, yummy, and eats it. And then what happens? He's snared. Okay, that's what discontentment does. It's the lure of something great only to be snagged and snared by it. He also says in verse number 9, it brings foolish and hurtful lust. Verse number 9 and verse number 10 talks about destruction and perdition. It can cause you even to err from the faith. That's what the word perdition means. What he's saying there is he's talking about this. There are people who used to be faithful in church and love God with all their heart, soul, and mind, but because of discontentment, they're not even in the house of God anymore. They're not even where they ought to be anymore because they started loving money and loving things more than they did being content with what God had given them. In verse number 10, he also says this, there are many sorrows with discontentment. Which means this, if you want to be sad, be discontent. Because there's a lot of sorrow there. A lot, a lot of sorrow. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5 would say it this way, let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, here's the blessing. God says this. This is a learned behavior. God says, listen, contentment is not just a default setting that you get saved. And he goes, now you're content. Come on, we know better than that. Why? Because we've all experienced discontentment before in one way or another. And so here he says this. You need to learn this attitude of contentment. So how do we do that? Well, it takes effort and energy to learn contentment. Do you know our culture is not content? Just turn the TV on for five minutes, you can figure that out. Buy this, get this. You want this, don't you? You need this. You have to have it. It's shoved down our throat constantly, this attitude of discontentment. That model's not good enough anymore. This isn't good enough anymore. You got to have this. You need this. Now, listen, if we're not careful, we can buy into what our culture is shoving down our throat. And we can learn just like it's being taught us. Well, I need to be discontent and I need to keep up with the Joneses and I need to do all of these things. 
So then we need to do this. Not only as we learn it takes energy and effort to resist our culture and the move that it's going, but according to verse number 12, uh, Paul here gives us this little insight that we need to learn how to have joy and contentment in any state that we're in. Now that means in the state of great riches and of great poverty. Now this is a weird dynamic. I don't know how this works. I, this is how it works. I, I don't know. I've just watched so many people go through it, and it's just, I don't know how it works, but it does. Discontentment takes deeper root the more riches you have. I, I don't know how. I don't know what, how that happens, but people that are in poverty seem more content than those that are in great wealth. You say, no way. Well, let's just take a big, broad stroke here. Uh, my time in Africa while I was there. I was, spent a month over there in Tanzania, Africa. I mean, you're talking about poor, right? Mud huts, no electricity, no running water. And, and, you know, the bathrooms that they have, no thank you, right? They call them the cho, and it's just a hole in the ground. It's rough, right? Kids are out there taking a bath. They just have a bucket of water and splash it on themselves. Body odor, you could not even imagine, unbearable. No, I'm, I'm just kind of painting the picture of the culture that we're dealing with and the abject poverty that is there. I mean, just super, super poor, right? And you see a kid who has nothing, wearing rags, no shoes on, and he's made himself his own toy from an old milk jug, and he got some metal wire and put uh, Coke bottle lids on it for the tires and found a little piece of a string and he's pulling that thing around and I'm telling you in my life I have never seen more happy kids yeah. I mean just just light up you give them a piece of candy and they think they just won the lottery I mean that's just the greatest thing they've ever received and then you come here to the states you got some kid who's got his own bedroom that's bigger than their house Every day taking a warm shower, he's got three full meals every day, and he gets a PS4 instead of PS5 for Christmas, and he throws a fit. Uh -oh. No, no, I'm, I'm just saying, paint the culture here and where we're going, and I'm saying, by and large, people struggle with discontentment the more they have, yes. not with the less they have. And so Paul comes here and he says, listen, you need to learn whatever state you're in, you can be content in that state. Now listen... It is harder, in my opinion, for somebody to be content in America than it is almost in anywhere else in the world because we have such affluence here. And if we're not careful, the poorest among us are considered rich around the world. I mean, absolute great value. You say, well, I don't have a nice car. Well, most of the world doesn't even have a car. Well, my house isn't that nice. Well, most of the world doesn't even have a house. They live in a little shack. Well, my internet is pretty slow. Uh, come on now, let's think about some of the things we complain about and then start looking at what's around the world. And I think where we, our discontentment comes in is because we have so uh, affixed our eyes on those around us and what the news stations and the television is telling us that we're not going to be satisfied unless. Come on. And so Paul comes in and he says this, you need to learn contentment in either state. You need to know how to abase, and you also need to know how to abound, which is this. There's nothing wrong with abounding. If God blesses you with things, rejoice in the Lord, but don't let that be your entire identity. And understand this, you probably will struggle with contentment in that state more than you will in the other.
So Paul, he gives us some wisdom about this thing of contentment, of helping us understand that we need to learn in both states. In, In verse number 13, this is so key. The source of contentment is not external, it's internal. Now, uh, let's look at it there in verse number uh, 13 of Philippians 4. If you moved away, move back. Okay, Philippians 4, 13. He says it this way, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You ever seen that verse anywhere before? Posters and people flashing it here and there. It's kind of like the verse, judge not, lest you be not judged. And then they forget all the other context around it, right? This is one of those verses that gets ripped out of context all the time. Well, what's the context? Contentment. Here's the context. You can be content. God will give you the strength to do that. God will give you the capability to be content with what He has provided for you. Well, what does that mean? It means if you're abounding or you're abased, you can be content in that state, and God can equip you. Now, here's a big thing. Most of us act like thermometers and not like thermostats. There's a difference between the two, if if you didn't know. A thermometer, what does it do? It reads the temperature of the room. What does a thermostat do? It changes the temperature of the room. Most of us, we live this idea of contentment or discontentment, that attitude that is so volatile in our world today and in, in America, and we live like a... Uh, thermometer, that whatever culture we're in, we seem to acclimate to that. Well, here's the blessing, is according to Philippians 4.13, there is a power that rests within you that can strengthen you and equip you to be like a thermostat, that you can be immersed in a culture of discontent people and be totally content. Change the world. Remember what they told Peter and John? They said, these be those that turn the world upside down. And in their mind, you know what they're thinking? We didn't turn the world upside down. We turned it right side up. You had it backwards. Now listen, our world around us says so discontent, they've got it wrong. They've got it backward. And Paul here says, listen, God can equip you and God has given you everything you need in order to have right thinking in a wrong world about this idea of contentment. So there are three things that Paul learned. Let me give you these to you quickly, and we'll be done and go to our prayer time. In verse number 12, <clears throat> he points out this. I know both how to abase and how to abound. Uh, everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. Now, <clears throat> here is what he tells us in verse number 12. We can trust that God is in control. Amen. So Paul simply said this. In following the Lord, there have been times where God has blessed me. And the same God that I was following, there were other times where things were a little skimpy. And so understanding this, as I follow God, Romans 8, 28 starts to come into full picture. I don't know why God allows bad things and good things to happen, but I do know this. He works all things together for the good. To them who are the called according to His purpose, right? To them that love God. God will work out His purpose and God will work everything for good to us in our life. God brings everything in my life to make me stronger and better. God has a plan and I will trust Him. Which simply means this, I understand where the economy is at right now and some of y'all might have been abounding two, three years ago and right now things are feeling a little tight. I understand that dynamic. 
But understand this, through no fault of your own, maybe it is God is helping us learn some things in these skimpy times, in these hard times. To not have contentment and not to trust God is to put a question mark on God's plan. It is. When we're discontent, we're putting a question mark on what God has brought in our life. God, did you really mean to do that? God, is this, this isn't really what you had planned, is it? And we put a question mark on God's plan. So one of the things that Paul learned was simply this. I'm going to trust God whether I'm abounding or I'm abasing. I'm going to serve the same God who changes not, and I'm just going to be who God called me to be. Okay? The second thing was this. Experience God's power. <clears throat> Again, in verse number 13, Paul realized this. There is a source of strength and power that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. I may lack everything, but I will always have God. I think a lot of people are super depressed in their life because they get focused on the wrong things. And people realize, well, I don't have this, and I'm struggling with this, and I don't have this. And I think if we would just stop, especially around this Christmas time, and we would stop, come on, the hustle and bustle, right? Buy this, got to do this, got to go to this party, got to do this, got to do this. And we would just stop and evaluate, not what's urgent, but what's important. And we would stop and say, I have a heavenly father that loves me. I'm saved. I've got the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I've got a New Testament church that I attend. I've got the word of God that I can read and love. And we realize this, I may lack everything else in life, but as long as I have God, I have everything. Yeah, that'll change your perspective on some things. Today we have much, but it seems we have less of God than ever before. If you look back over history, it seems like there were periods of time, especially here in the United States, when the country maybe wasn't as prosperous as it had been at other times, and yet there was love and desire and ambition for God like there had never been. But I'm telling you, our affluence by and large, has led people away from following and loving the Lord. And the third and final thing is this. It's found in verse number 19. Uh, let's look at it there. Philippians 4, 19, he says this. But my God shall supply all your need. <laughs> Sometimes we want to change that to want, don't we? God's going to supply all my wants. But God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Rely on God's promises. Well, what's God's promise? God's promise is this. He'll supply all your needs. David said, I've never seen one of God's begging for bread. The New Testament said this, seek God first, seek His kingdom first, and all these things will be added to you. Well, what did he just talk about? Food, raiment, right? He talked about the necessities of life. Now, to be fair, sometimes we look at things that we think are needs, and they're not really needs their desires and wants. Understand this, God will give you everything you need, not always everything you want. <clears throat> now, uh, I don't know why, but there are periods of time uh, throughout the calendar year where there have been these holidays that have been designated to give my children way too much candy. <laughs> right? You get around those periods of time and it's like, you know, just it's the time to get candy and there's just candy, 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 candy. Now, here's the thing. I know what they want. They want to sit down and they want to smash that full three-pound bag of candy they just got. You ever seen a kid do that before? They're having a great time, aren't they? Yeah, Maddie's the worst. She'll go hide in the corner and just shell them as fast as she can. She's not even enjoying them. She's just... 
She's eating them as quick as she can if she can get away with it. But I'll say this. That might be what she wants, but she'll be suffering the next day, next week. We'll be suffering. I'll say this. As a parent, I know better what she needs. And sometimes we look at the bag of candy and we go, but look how awesome this is. Can I just have it? And God says, no, here's a piece. This is what you need. It's not always what we want, but understand this. God knows what you need a lot better than you do as our good and gracious Heavenly Father. So here, here's the encouragement at the end of the book of Philippians, which is all about this. That I may know Him and a byproduct being joy and rejoicing of that. He simply says this. Learn to be content. Contentment will be what? Great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's all stand as we come to a time of invitation here.